so I asked you last week, have you ever felt like a, a nobody going nowhere? Did you ever feel like that? You know, when, you're, when your mind starts to wonder and you start thinking about where your life is headed and, and what you've done or maybe what you haven't done, or maybe you just sometimes feel like a, a rat in a cage, you know, tur- turning around and around on that proverbial treadmill of same old, same old, and you're still not getting anywhere, and you take stock of your life, and, and you say, what difference does it all make? Uh, it seems like things are, are so messed up right now. What's the point? Uh, why, why am I still here? And since I am, does anybody really know or really care about me and the kinds of stuff that I'm facing every day? Well, if you've ever felt that way or, or thought those thoughts, then you're in the right place this morning because God has a word for you in today's psalm, a word guaranteed to replace uh, any pity parties, any doubts uh, about the reality of a sovereign, providential God who knows and sees you intimately, warts and all, struggles and all, failures and all, and yet reaches out in love anyway with the offer of forgiveness and redemption to save a people for himself and to bring them into the kingdom of his beloved son. Uh, even though we don't deserve it. Even though many times our hearts may not feel like it. That's the message of Psalm 139 that we're going to look at today in full. And if you remember, I read uh, just half of it to you last week when the guys were here. <clears throat> Didn't they do a great job, by the way? Yes. And so if you're following along, I hope you are, Psalm 139, superscribed to the choir master, a psalm of David. And David writes, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. You formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet none of them were, were made. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, how vast is the sum of them. If I could count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent your enemies take your name in vain do i not hate those that hate you O lord do i not loathe those who rise up against you i hate them with complete hatred i count them my enemies 
But search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord for us today. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you that you do search us, and you do know us, but that's a frightening prospect, too. And so we ask, Father, you would search and know uh, each heart here in the sanctuary and each heart listening. Uh, You would open those hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would teach us, Father, whatever message you have for us individually today from the Scriptures, and you would conform our hearts and minds to the image of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. So in the uh, opening six verses there of Psalm 139, there's actually seven different Hebrew words that stack up to tell you that God knows you and your story intimately. If you look through it, we read searched and surround and know and perceive and understand and and comprehend and acquainted with and observe. Uh, And each of those words conveying a different strata of God's multi-layered knowledge of you and me. But when you pack them all together in such rapid succession combined, they kind of picture God as a skilled research analyst, uh, tracking even our most mundane activities, studying us even when we think we're alone, dissecting our inner world, uh, discerning what makes you tick, uh, and why we do what we do. And he penetrates past our our best foot forward that we put out there, even to the level of knowing precisely what you and I will say or do next as if it had already been uttered aloud or acted out. You see, God knows your heart. He knows your fears. He knows your thoughts. He knows your motives and dreams. He knows your frustrations. He knows your past. He knows your present. He knows your future. He understands you. He sees what's going on around you and to you and inside of you. Uh, He gets you. In fact, uh, God has you pegged better than you do yourself. And whatever it is, if it has to do with you, as we read this morning, He knows it all together. And and for some, that that may be uh, a pretty unnerving thought. But here's the good news. For those of us that are in Christ... As well as God knows you and knows me, he still loves us anyway and wants to have you and me as full-fledged members of his family, one that he's never going to let go of. Uh, And David understood that when he said this morning, you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand on me. This is such a a great compound uh, comforting thought, I think, because if you look at those verses in the Hebrew text, the first half of it actually gives the idea of a city under siege, which doesn't sound that comforting at first, but I want you to just kind of imagine it. It's, it's being surrounded by, by an army, and there's no way to escape. You're, you're hemmed in. You're, you're pinned down. You're encircled. You're enclosed. Uh, and the second half of that verse, David says, you lay your hand on him. And there he's referring to the Old Testament practice of bestowing a blessing on someone where You know, a father would lay his hands on a a child's head and and speak words into that child's life about who they are and what their place is in the family and what their future would be. And and so, you know, those kind of things, especially with the laying on of hands, is one of the most important acts that happened in a Hebrew family. 
Which means together, what you've got here, at least in my mind, is a picture of the Heavenly Father grabbing us up in a big old bear hug and planning a great big blessing on us even as we try desperately to wiggle our way out of his grasp. And in spite of that, he marks us as his own and implants in us a future and a hope. Uh, a hope that for David was absolutely mind-blowing because he said, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high, I, I can't attain it. So I, I can't wrap my mind around it. And if I try, he says, the only thing that makes me want to do is run, to escape. And he says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where will I flee from your presence? Why? Because he's thinking, if I let God get that close to me, the God that knows all about me and wants to love me anyway, then I have to face up to my own failings. And so do we. So do we, because you see, uh, he knows whenever I've been a hypocrite. Uh, he's heard my lies and he's heard yours too. Uh, he saw what I did last week and what you did this morning. And that's never going to change. Because there's nowhere to hide. Not in heaven. Not in hell. Not on the eastern horizon, the western limits. Not even in the darkness of the darkest cave because, well, God, if I say surely darkness will cover me and the light around me be night, even the darkness isn't dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. But because of the ubiquity of God's loving presence, David can say, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me because you search out my path. And church, that's the story of all of Scripture and the truth of our existence and the essential message of the gospel, really, not humanity looking for God, which is the false model of the, the seeker-sensitive modern American church, but rather the reality of men and women actively running from God and Him continually pursuing them, us, anyway. And doing it to redeem a people for Himself and to give them as a love gift to His Son through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to think about it like this with me. Just think about it for a minute. When Adam and Eve sinned, did they try to find their way back to God or did they hide? They hid, right? Uh, when the flood was set to come on the earth, did Noah say, you know, I think I'll, I'll, I'll build me a boat and, and try to ride it out? Or did God provide the plan for his means of escape? God provided, right? When Abram was a city-dwelling, settled-down, pagan idol worshiper living in Ur of the Chaldees, did he wake up one day and just go out in search of God? Or did God call him? You see, and I could go on and on and on right down through all 12 apostles and, and from there right on through to Saul of Tarsus who Jesus quite literally knocks off his high horse while he's headed to arrest and persecute Christian converts, kill him if he could. But then how God raised him up to write the bulk of the New Testament that would travel around the globe changing lives and saving souls of untold millions that will now forever live as eternal trophies of God's great mercy through Jesus Christ. Uh, and do you know what that means? It means that you and I, along with all of those others, are wanted by God. It means that we're called God's beloved, that we're chosen, that we're dearly loved children, and that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. 
Guys, that's the message of Psalm 139. And over and over in the Bible, we see it affirmed from the first few chapters of Genesis clear through to the last amen of Revelation. Uh, but if, if that's not enough by itself, if that weren't enough, we have it from the lips of our Lord Jesus himself in the Gospel of John. John chapter 6, verse 44, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they all will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. And I don't know about you, but that's a huge comfort to me. Because uh, like I said in Sunday school this morning, I know myself, and, and I know if it were possible to lose your salvation, I would have lost mine a hundred times. But you see, the redeemed are chosen and given to the Son by the Father as a gift. That's our hope. But, but church, you won't hear that in eight out of ten American churches that thrive on stroking people's egos and pushing the health and wealth prosperity gospel of your best life now and, and pushing out that promise of worldly promotion and, and personal aggrandizement because, you know, as pleasant and as attractive as all that sounds, it's not biblical. You're not going to find it taught in the scriptures and you won't find it in today's psalm, a psalm that unapologetically proclaims the plan and the promise and the predestination that God has for his own when David said, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. And see, brothers and sisters, please hear me on this today. If you are a believer today, it is not because you were more clever than your unbelieving neighbors. And, and you were not more holy or less heathen or had any special aptitude towards spiritual things. Uh, and I'm sorry, it's not because you were so intrinsically awesome that God just couldn't live without you. Sorry, you're not. Neither am I. Because uh, God wasn't ever rambling around in a big old empty universe, all sad and alone until he started creating angels and animals and humans. No. He was already in a perfectly loving, perfectly complete, perfectly fulfilling familiar relationship within the unity and plurality of the Trinity, of Father, Son, and Spirit. That's why the, that doctrine, the doctrine of the Trinity, is so absolutely vital to our faith. Because anything less leaves us with a God who would have very deep-seated needs, Right? He'd have a need for someone to worship him, and he'd have a need for someone to have companionship with, and he'd have a need for someone to have conversation with. But a God that has needs isn't a God. Uh, instead, what we have is a God that has attributes. And one of those attributes is love. And not just that he does loving things, which he does, but that he actually is love. And he's got so much of it, he's got so much love, he just didn't want to stop sharing it. And so somewhere, sometime before time began, in a demonstration of his perfect love for his son, the Father gave him a gift. And if you're a believer, that gift was you. And that gift was me. And you don't even have to take my word for it. I hope you don't. Listen to the book of Ephesians. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him when? Yeah, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to who? Yeah, as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of whose will? His will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You see, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And if you're in the habit of underlining your Bibles, this is the section to underline. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith and is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. And you see, when David, by the Holy Spirit, was allowed to look ahead and, and see and understand the person and work of his greater son, Jesus, he writes, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I can't attain it. I can't wrap my head around it. Especially when all of life seems to be saying, it's all about me and, and my wants and, and my will and my desires and my decisions. But then when it comes to the idea of our eternal destiny, all of a sudden, now the Holy Spirit hits us upside the head with this holy and humbling realization that you did not just happen to come to your faith through your own ingenuity. But rather the Bible says you were drawn to Christ by God the Father through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And so was every individual who has ever come to saving faith. Every individual from every time and tribe and tongue and nation as a love gift from the Father to the Son who said in John 6.37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. And why would he? Because he made us for that very purpose to begin with. That's why David said today, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. And guys, I love that, that phrase that David uses there when he says knitted together uh, in reference to his time in the womb because it's more than just picturesque language, right? Uh, for those of you with a, in the medical field background, you can correct me on this, but it's perfectly consistent with what we know of modern medical research that tells us that our bodies are quite literally knit together. Uh, we, we can see it through the development of the microscope and now uh, the electron microscope that allowed us to see not only the cellular but the extracellular components of organs and tissues uh, and how they're interwoven in all these complex ways. In fact, if you're in that field, uh, you know the name given to the microscopic study, say that three times fast, <laughs> of biological systems. Anybody know what it is? This Judy, I'm going to pick on you. Know what it is? No. Histology. Histology, which is derived from an ancient Greek word that means web, like a spider's web, like the connective tissues of the protein and the collagen that's in between the trillions of cells in our body, uh, whose intricate threads have the flexibility similar to cloth, but the elasticity 
and strength of almost like rubber. And so when we see that in front of us, we're forced to acknowledge that even the tiniest bits of creation that go into making the tiniest little babies attest to the greatness and personal attention of our God. And that goes for all of us too, even though we're all grown up now. Because you see, God uses what the world considers weak and small in us, whether it's our advancing years or our physical infirmities or our emotional frailties to display His glory above the powers and principalities that work every day against the message of the gospel. That's why Paul wrote, uh, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what's low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord and boast in his tender care and his tough love and the tight hold that he keeps on each of us personally as time after time we see God take little things insignificant things seemingly worthless things to accomplish great things right give you a couple quick examples think of the family of 70 people that went into Egypt and they came out three million strong nation of Israel how about Gideon God turned Gideon's small band of 300 soldiers into conquering warriors that defeated thousands of Midianites. Remember, our Lord turned a little boy's lunch of five loaves and two fishes into enough to feed 5,000 people. And he took a really simple Passover meal and made it a sacrament. The very one he's calling us to this morning as he invites us to pray in the words of Psalm 139, Search me, O Lord, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Amen. Let's pray together. God our Father, it's truly right and our greatest joy always and everywhere to give you thanks and praise, especially in this Holy Supper, recalling that perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ and asking you, Lord, by the joy of his resurrection, and an expectation of his coming again that you unite us in your truth and love so that we can confess your name and sit together at one table. And so come now, Lord, and continue your transforming work in this place and in this time that eyes may be opened, that hearts may be radically changed by the good news of the gospel. And so remembering now your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we take from your creation this bread and this wine, and we ask you to pour out your spirit upon us and upon these your gifts, that this meal may be for us a communion with our Lord Jesus Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.